0: Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. A recent story challenging the Indigenous heritage of singer-songwriter Buffy St. Marie sent shockwaves through Canada. It distressed many people, but it also ignited a debate regarding what it means to be Indigenous. On today's show, Alderville First Nation Chief Tanyer Simpson will give his perspective. He will shed light on what it means to be Indigenous, but also share how the Alderville community determines who is a member and who is not. He will also explain how current federal policies regarding identity may impact the future of his people. I'm delighted to have with me today, Alderville First Nations Chief Tanya Simpson. Welcome back to Consider This.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: What was your reaction when you first heard the Buffy St. Marie story by CBC challenging her indigeneity?
1: Um, Well, I think... uh... When I first heard it, it started a roller coaster of emotions. I think um, uh, Buffy St. Marie tried to get ahead of the story by posting on her Facebook page, uh, how um, she heard that there was a story being done um, on her um, Indigenous heritage. And she uh, basically said that uh, she knows who she is and that she um, uh, she just didn't know where she was from. Um, so I think we all wanted to believe her. We've all grown up with Buffy uh, for the last 60 years. She's been one of our main um, uh, entertainers and consolers and someone who we felt has spoken uh, us and for us about us um, uh, and then uh, when we did watch the um, the CBC uh, Fifth Estate uh, documentary it, it just seemed like that uh, there was no um, recourse there was no uh, no other way about it once the, all the evidence had been given it looks to be that indeed she uh, does not have any um, Indigenous uh, heritage so that raises the questions of um, what does that mean for us do we give her a free uh, Does uh, fraudulent behavior have an expiry date because she's done so much? She's been adopted into the pots uh, First Nation. What does that mean? Um, but a lot of people are just, they're very hurt. And when it comes down to the issue of uh, pretendianism, it, it causes damage and harm to our communities because we did. She did mean so much to our people. We put a lot into her. She's been with us for most of our lives. Uh, all of my life, my parents loved her. We have her her records. Um, so it, it's caused a lot of pain. So I think that it went from denial to uh, acceptance to to pain, and then the question is: is how do we move forward?
0: I'd like to talk about all those questions one at a time. So let's just explore a little bit more about reaction. How about the reaction from those around you? What sort of things were you hearing from others in the community or others that surround you?
1: Well, I think uh, initially uh, it was almost uh, unanimous everyone was behind Buffy. They couldn't believe this. Uh, CBC should be ashamed of themselves. It It just seemed like too much. Uh, but then, when it started to sink in, some people uh, accepted it. Some people refused to watch the the documentary. But then, we was getting like, oh, this is this looks serious. This looks real. Um, some people say that they will always love Buffy. They love her music. Um, others are saying, well, she um, she's been pretending to be us. She's been using our marginalization as her cover and her protection, and, and to profit off of uh, off of this this fake heritage so what does it mean and then um I was thinking well if she didn't know if she truly honestly didn't know her her birthright then uh I'd be willing to you know to let it go but it, in the documentary it's like there should have been no doubt she was like 20 years old uh her whole life as a, as a white individual growing up in in America and then to see at the end of the documentary how she uh used uh, threatening uh, against her biological brother. Now, she made allegations. I can't say one way or the other if they were true or not. Um, But it definitely looked like she had a lawyer write all of this up. So it's it's not that she uh, just didn't know. She actively would have been um, uh, pushing this fraud her whole career. And then once you're doing it for so long, you can't really go back. So even if she maybe wanted to come clean or... She she just didn't have she was in too deep and that's my guess that she got in too deep uh, since I turned back.
0: For some outing, people who say they are indigenous but are not is very important. Why is that important?
1: Well, in the case of Buffy Samarie, she's taking up space and airwaves and accolades and awards and recognition that was intended for real indigenous artists. Um, so it, it's making it harder for for legitimate indigenous artists to, to get ahead. Uh, and so when she wins the Juno for uh, indigenous music, or if she wins like the, uh, the best indigenous uh, album of the year or song of the year, that that should rightfully be going to a, a legitimate uh, indigenous artist. So she is taking up this space uh, and not um, not not being recognized in, in the way that she should be. Like she is a fine singer. She's a great folk singer. She probably could have made a career not being in selling herself as an indigenous artist. And yeah, I, I guess that uh, I hope that answers your question.
0: There have been a number of people who have undergone this kind of scrutiny, such as Joseph Boyden, uh, Michelle Latimer, Carrie Bourassa, among others. Is the Buffy St. Marie story different? And if it is, why?
1: Um sadly i don't think it is different uh in a lot of ways she follows the uh, the mold and the formula for being a pretendian where she she knows her true background uh she has found some initial success uh being touted as an indigenous uh, person artist writer whatever and and then um, they continue to Produce a fake narrative about themselves, knowing that they're not true. And and there's a lot of this inconsistencies. They always kind of point back to like, oh, we don't really know, you know, the records weren't kept very well. Um, But that's a lie with Indigenous people. There's so many records about us, like going back to the very like early 1800s. And we know our family lines uh, intricately. Um, So that doesn't pan out. Uh, She was she also has a different changing story so they always have changing stories and um, their experiences often just don't ring true um i mean looking back now like it, it's like okay well i get it i can see how that happened but at the time you 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 don't go out and doubt someone's uh, heritage if they say that they're indigenous heritage you, you don't you're not going out saying hey no you're not i need to know proof that you are you, you just accept it and then you will keep accepting it and in the case of buffy like we've <laughs> our whole lives we've been um we've grown up with her so it's just something that you know we never really expected and of course she she looks Indigenous uh that that's that's the big thing um so we we never really would have expected this this uh this revelation uh, but here we are
0: you've said something really interesting and it sounds like there's been a change in attitude amongst the Indigenous community towards this kind of thing can you talk a little bit more about what that shift has been and why it's significant and leading to what's going on right now?
1: Well, I guess uh, if you go back uh, like a hundred years ago, when you have the uh, example of gray owl, uh, it seemed like such a, a crazy thing, such a crazy um uh, thing to happen like wow this one person pretended to be Indian and uh, he wasn't you know that's huge it, it turns out that that's very common um, there's a lot of people that uh, perhaps they they like the romantic uh, image of, of of the noble savage they would used to call it uh, living in the wilderness um, you know one with nature and so they bought into this romantic uh, perception of uh, indigenous people that's uh, not necessarily the case and, and it's different from who they are and maybe it speaks to what their ideals are as, as a person, um, and they want to latch on to that. And it's so easy to say, like, oh, my great-great-great-grandmother was an Indian princess, which I've heard almost from, I'm not going to say everybody, but I hear that all the time. So everyone believes that they've got a little bit of Indigenous blood in them, so it gives them the um, the in, basically, to, to, uh, to take on that persona, even if they... don't know or if they think that they're all white they there's a chance hey maybe i do have some indian back in there so it's okay to say this
0: one of the more controversial aspects of the story is its reliance on a birth certificate and as someone who has spent a career working with documents related to indigenous people can you share some of the challenges you face
1: well uh we you have to understand how the records are created I'm not um, an expert on uh, American birth certificates, but uh, that expert that they had on the Fifth Estate, she knew how these records were created. She was able to authenticate that indeed, you know, this is uh, it's the right format. And I think that the the one proof uh, that it's real was the fact that it was in a numbered sequence. Uh, It it was given a file number in order. So, uh, Buffy's story that you know, um, you know, they they issued it later then it would have had a different number on it than the one that from the moment she was born, she got that birth certificate. So to me, uh, from someone that understands records and knowing how, how these work, that, that makes sense. You wouldn't have been able to uh, retroactively put that uh, birth certificate into a sequence and that, that number being held for them. So that just uh, that, that blows that part of the story um, that Buffy was trying to sell.
0: Can you explain to listeners what it is you exactly do with documentation and how you use documents in your business
1: well, uh, in my work, uh, for those that aren't aware, I um, I, I started a, a research company called Wampum Records. We're a historical archival research company that has been um, uh, contracted by the federal government to resolve claims against the Crown from uh, survivors where we go in and we have to... L- make sure that uh, the claims are true. So we have to go back into the records. We have to find the students' uh, records if it's residential school. We we look at the uh, admission and discharge records. We look at the quarterly returns. So these records are all being kept for internal purposes, not uh, to prove um, like a litigation, you know, 50 years in the future. But uh, these records were kept for a reason. They're usually based on funding. So uh, schools were funded on their nominal roles, how many students were in there. So these were records that just had to be kept uh, as, as daily housekeeping so you know what they look like They're standard forms and the forms change through the years so you, you know what a legitimate document is and if a fake one were to pop up you, you all types of alarm bells would be ringing you know like maybe a 1980s form but being filled out with the 1930s information you would know right off the hop that's, that's incorrect so uh, and working from government records it's quite a bureaucratic system they kept uh, quadruplet copies of almost everything with uh, Indian residential schools so um, you would always probably be able to find the documents at some point.
0: I'd like to talk about this in a local context as well. How do you determine who is a member of the Alderville First Nation?
1: Okay. Uh, so there's two um, criteria that need to be uh met. Um, you need to be uh, a status, um, First Nations, um, so that's uh, Indian status under the Indian Act, and you also have to uh, be a member of Alderville, uh, usually by uh, birthright, so your mother or your father are both Uh, were Alderville members Uh, therefore you are born as an Alderville member Um, and in the past we accepted transfers from um, other First Nations so if you had say someone from Hiawatha who wanted to move to Alderville and transfer to become an Alderville member we would uh, uh, basically have to ratify that through the community if the community says yes we accept this person then we would grant them um, Alderville membership and uh, vice versa Hiawatha's membership that would cease with them you say
0: the community decides, how does that process take place? And is it is it have to be unanimous? Is there a percentage? How does that work?
1: Well, in the past, we don't do this anymore. It's been, uh, I'm going to say 30 years since we've allowed it to happen, maybe 25, but it's been a long time. Um, uh, from what I understand, there was a community meeting, it would be discussed, the person trying to transfer would make their case to the community. And at that point, there would be a vote among the people in attendance if uh, if they would like to have um, this member join. And if they do, then then it would have been um, uh, ratified.
0: What's the role of marriage in in determining whether a person is a member of the Elderville First Nation?
1: Well, if you're looking prior to uh, Bill C-31 in the mid 1980s, uh, if you were an indigenous uh, status, person and you were to marry a non-Indigenous woman, she would be granted status and vice versa. If an Indigenous First Nation status woman married a non-Indigenous man, she would lose her status. So Bill C-31 was created um, uh, to, they're going to say, correct that issue uh, and women who lost their status got it back. But Bill C-31 also introduced a a second two generation cutoff rule where um, they put in two levels of status. So your six one and your six two six ones with a child would be able to have a status child and they would become a six two if they married a non-indigenous person or a six one if they were marrying an indigenous person with status so this has led to um decreased numbers of uh, status children being born because there is a lot of marrying out or marrying non-status first nations or, or metis people so um it, it's one of those things that uh, marriage doesn't really play a role as much as uh, who the, the parents are on the birth certificate.
0: How does that impact then the the First Nation itself then as as you know generations continue to move forward? Does it diminish your numbers? Does it how does it impact uh, overall
1: well, that's a very good question. We've done a few studies. Um, the studies have actually shown that uh, in the future, there will no longer be any status uh, Indians born in Alderville. Um, the number keeps getting pushed back, but we we know that uh, unless things change, um, status Indians will disappear from Canada at some point because of this. And, and that was always the intent of the government. They're always trying to eliminate Indians. So if they were able to do it this way, then they could. So um, that's the the harm of bill c31 is it was uh introduced to correct and uh, um, uh what they saw as uh, an injustice but they actually uh, put more injustice into it so um we, we understand it's it's a it's a problem so I mean strategically like if you're an indigenous person like especially a 6 two and you want your children to have status, you would have to marry someone who has six one or six2 status on the reserve. you can only pass your land and property down to a member of Alderville. So if you no longer have status children, you are not able to leave your estate to your children. Um, and this is becoming a big problem where residents, some members are passing away, and they have no status members to pass on their their property to.
0: Is there an active advocacy going on to correct this?
1: Not enough uh there's there's murmurs there's talk but we need action right now because we know something like this is going to take 25 years in the courts uh once we start an official formal process so we we really should be acting yesterday to to address these issues um but there's so many issues facing first nations in canada right now to me it's it doesn't seem like it's it's Given the um, uh, given the importance that it's supposed to have, so uh, someone's got to spearhead this, and if uh, if it's got to be Alderville then life, I think we should do that.
0: You know, if there are cases where people have had their indigenous identity questioned by the Alderville community.
1: Um. Well, Alderville. Everyone knows everyone's business. Uh. So we we accept adoption. So if um uh an indigenous uh, member couple adopted a child and they were granted um status, we accept that. We accept them in. Um, we know that they're not blood, but they are family. They become Alderville members, and we accept them as such but um really you can't uh you can't fake membership in Alderville you have to be status you have to be an Alderville member. So we have lots of indigenous people in the area and in Alderville that that aren't members um we, we would accept them unless like we have reason to believe you're you're making it up like we, you don't you don't question someone's uh claim to indigeneity um so we uh, unless uh, you know CBC goes in and, and you know, starting an investigation on everyone who claims Indigenous ancestry, we really don't have a way of uh, figuring that out.
0: Because so that's really a big aspect of Buffy St. Marie's story, is the idea of being adopted into the Peopod Cree First Nation family. It, how does that work? And is, is there any parallel between what you've just described to me from Alderville?
1: Well, to me, this sounds like... Um, uh, Adoption of convenience on Buffy St. Marie's part. She was in her 20s at the time that she was adopted by uh, the chief and his wife. Um, Obviously, she was looking for connections and um, uh, basically that just the acceptance and formality of becoming Indigenous. So that provided to her but usually you're not adopting 24 year olds she knew she wasn't so uh, yes she became um, a member of the pie family at that point but she had already been selling herself as an indigenous artist uh, for for a few years until that point so she got in on a lie um, and she was accepted on that lie but she arguably has done a lot of good in her career she's brought a lot of attention to the issues Um, a lot of people are saying that the good she has done for Indigenous peoples outweighs the original crime, the fraud that she's been committing. So, I mean, that's one argument. Uh, but at the same time, it's a fraud is a fraud, and we, we it's hard because we all love Buffy. Like it's just we're still grappling with even though it's been days. Like we we really loved her music, we loved her message, and and it's just it's hurting. And and this is the damage that these pretendings do. They cause all this hurt and pain.
0: I want to ask you why Indigenous identity is so significant, but I want to do it in a certain context. As Indigenous communities settle treaties and there are payouts as part of reconciliation and a recognition uh, for a need to make financial settlements, this places pressure on communities like Alderville to know who has the right to those monies. I know of this case in the United States where some Indigenous communities ha- have faced trouble because they have a successful casino or other resources, and then they face questions of who has the right to access those monies. Do you see any evidence of this in Canada or in, in anywhere uh, across the country or in Alderville where this becomes a concern and an Indigenous identity becomes part of being tied into this new wealth that's being created?
1: Well, that's a good question. As far as, um, um like, status First Nations are concerned, it's very cut and dry about who's a member. Um, and, and so I'd say for Irish, it's not the case. But when you get into settlements for Métis people, where to be Métis, all you have to do is say you're Métis and you're accepted. Um, that's an issue. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of what's happening with this uh, um, fake reserve called Ardok First Nation, where it's just a bunch of non-Indigenous people who uh, say, we're making First Nation, we're calling ourselves the First Nation, we're giving ourselves a chief, and we're now trying to engage the federal government in claims and treaties and settlements. Um, I know that there are a few Indigenous, non-Satis uh, Indigenous members of this Ardoc First Nation, maybe looking for some uh, I'm not going to say they're trying to you know join the First Nation and not do any fault of their own just because maybe other First Nations weren't accepting them but the vast majority of our First Nation is non-Indigenous people so that creates a real problem when these people start going out and speaking as Indigenous people saying that they have rights to lands and territories and rights um, so a lot of the, um, the settlement funds that we've gotten have been for loss of lands 90 percent of reserve lands were taken since uh, the reserves were set up we were denied our hunting and treating treaty rights so hunting and harvesting rights were denied to alderville members all williams treaty members for 100 years uh illegally so we received compensation for those loss of rights so you have elders who were 90 years old for their whole life they were denied their their rights to their lands and to profit on land and they were are, uh, they were chased by um, game wardens and, and imprisoned, and all this. So that that's real damages that they were getting that settlement funds for. Um, so if you somehow were actually not indigenous and trying to cash in on that, that that's a very horrible thing. Um, so that's why we're we're concerned about um, the, the the new Métis uh, settlement agreement that's going through Ottawa right now. For for that reason, um, there. uh, I might not want to get into it too much, but uh, to us, it's very problematic.
0: Would you be willing to share your own experiences with your Indigenous identity and how that has changed over your lifetime, how you see yourself
1: Well, uh, growing up as a kid, my father had left the reserve um, before I was born. So I was um, born in Toronto, moved to London, uh, and I grew up in, uh, for a better word, lack of a better word, a, a white neighborhood in the suburbs of London, Ontario. And I'd always known I was indigenous, but um I didn't necessarily look it. Uh, people thought maybe I was Italian or something. But I would tell people I'm, I'm native, and uh, I would um, I would get ridiculed for it. Uh, I would get people doing the whoop whoops and the, you don't live in a longhouse. Uh, where's your teepee and all those things. So I learned pretty early on not to talk about my indigenous identity, and it wasn't probably until I got into high school and started learning more about what was going on in Oka, being a, a big uh, Change for me. Uh, I started writing about it. And when I went to university, that was my main focus. So, um, but I was still living off reserve at the time and uh, I had lived off reserve my whole life. But knowing Alderville was my home, and it wasn't until about 11 years ago that I moved back to Alderville. But by then, I was very strong, and my uh, identity had been what I've been working on, especially with the residential schools since the 1990s. I was, um, I-, I knew our place in this country, I knew Canada's place in, in our lands. So, so um, it, it was definitely going from basically nothing to to everything uh, <laughs> uh, over, the, over uh, the course of my life.
0: For those who are not Indigenous, watching the reactions to the Buffy St. Marie story unfold and the discussions within and outside the Indigenous community, what would you like to say to those people to assist them in understanding all this?
1: Well, I would say that uh, you have to understand the the lies uh that that go on in a case like this that uh, it's not just something that that happened and there's it's victimless uh there are victims and uh, i got a number of non-indigenous um friends who who love buffy and this story hasn't actually changed their opinion of it and they're like they don't see what's wrong with pretending to be indigenous so to me that's that's probably the biggest surprise for me is that uh a non-indigenous people uh are willing to let this slide um and think that it's really not that big of a deal they don't they don't get it they don't understand why it's a problem um so i think that's that's the main um surprise that i had as i said so like i had hoped that they would have some sort of understanding of the issue of why this is poor uh a poor judgment and, and to almost maybe as um as a warning to not to try to do this yourself, because I, I've been involved, um especially in academics, where you have like professors who, who act like they're Indigenous. They don't say that they're not Indigenous, but uh they'll they'll go on and acting as though they are. And that sometimes they say that they are. So you, you it's just one of those things that it's. It is prevalent out there, and generally you won't know unless they're really making a big deal of being Indigenous. You're not going to know that uh, that they're not. Um, but it, it should be... Just more um, more understanding is what I'm asking for from the non-Indigenous population that this is a bad thing. And, you know, if you don't see it, just listen to the people that are, uh, are talking about it, because we understand the different layers that you have to peel back to fully understand this issue, and um, it, it, it's very harmful. It's a detriment to the uh, indigenous people that are competing uh, for the space uh, that the imposters are, are holding. And um, the the main thing is is that someone like Buffy didn't have to grow up being marginalized. She didn't experience all these ills and uh, malpractices against herself that she's claiming to have done. And uh, that that hurts because you know we. She claimed to be a 60s scoop uh, survivor, but just that that policy didn't happen when she was born. So we know that didn't happen. So she's claiming all of these damages done to her specifically that that didn't happen. And and there's real harm in that.
0: You've talked a lot today about trauma and hurt amongst the Indigenous community. How does the community heal?
1: Well, uh, we always come together in um, times of hardship uh and there's been several different types of hardship in our people over the years so uh we're we used to being disappointed we're used to being lied to we're used to getting the short end of the stick we're used to being marginalized uh and so um that's we we uh, get our strength from each other um from our members in Alderville and then our members in the uh, the and City First Nations and then it spreads out from there like we're really we've all experienced the the same issues from uh east coast to west coast like we might not be the same nations uh have the same culture and society and language but we have we the shared uh commonality that we were uh Indians uh, as the government like to call us so we we do come together and we're coming together on this and i'm going to say that uh there has been a shift in people's uh, take on this issue at first we were all in denial we we didn't want to believe it then you know well she was lying but it wasn't really that bad and now it's like well she was lying and it is really that bad so everyone comes to it at their own time but um i think uh you know, we—it's we, uh, been just a few days, but uh, who knows where we're going to be in a week or a month. Uh, what is the future of Buffy? We don't know. Uh, is she going to still perform? Is she going to come clean? That's the big thing. I think uh, if she were to come clean now, then we can all start healing. Uh, we can say, "Okay, phew, she's come clean. Now we can deal with it." But if she continues to uh, to, to sell this falsehood, then we are not going to be able to heal. We are still going to be uh, in turmoil amongst ourselves about what this means. So, uh, Buffy. He owes it to, to all Indigenous people to, to clean about this.
0: Chief Tanyer Simpson, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, Robert.
0: That was Alderville First Nation Chief Tanyer Simpson. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County